afternoon, Sarah Heppel. It's not the crack of dawn. Like when Good we afternoon, record. Nancy Rommelman. It's uh, it's a sunny 1 p.m. here in Dallas. I'm sorry, it's noon, actually. Uh, it's 1 o'clock here. And I, I'm not really sure where, what time it is where our guest is. I mean, she could be in Panama. She could be in Thailand. She's I in don't New know. York City. She's in New York but City? She's in New York City. Oh, okay, but can know. I tell you something? I wore a little bit of makeup today for our guest. I wore a little lip gloss. I put a little lip gloss on it. I I have worn nothing. Um, Marissa Meltzer, welcome to Smoke Them If You Got Them. Thank you. I'm also wearing nothing. I mean, I am wearing clothes, but I am not wearing anything. <laughs> you didn't have to. I mean, really, we, we would have been okay. I know. Well, look, it's the least I can do. Um, but no, I'm, I'm also not wearing makeup, but yes. But I appreciate all um, makeup and makeup-free faces. So thank you. I, I just wanted to put a little effort in it for you, Marissa. Um, so that. I'm going to read a little uh, introduction, um, if I may. Uh, Marissa Meltzer is a journalist whose latest book caught our attention because it's about a topic with massive impact, though it doesn't always get treated with the depth it deserves. And that's the beauty industry. Her book, Glossy, follows the rise of Glossier the extremely trendy brand of makeup beloved by millennials. But it's also about the career founder, Emily Weiss, the challenges of leading a 21st century company, and that mixed cultural moment known as the girl boss era. Meltzer has often written about topics that fascinate me. Her book, This Is Big, is about the founder of Weight Watchers and Marissa's own history of dieting. She's also written about Riot Girls in the book Girl Power, the 90s revolution in music, and about the influential teen magazine Sassy in the book How Sassy Changed My Life. Marissa lives in New York and writes for The New Yorker and Vanity Fair and Vogue and honestly all of the places, <laughs> and very frequently for The New York Times, where she recently interviewed Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, Marissa Meltzer, welcome to Smoke Em If You Got Em. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, you've spent a lot of time writing on beauty, and I think it's a topic that a lot of people might find superficial. And I wonder, why does it interest you, and why do you think it matters? Um, I, maybe, if, to get psychological, <laughs> I think that maybe... I was interested in it. I have a mom that's really into like skincare and makeup. She was an original Allure magazine subscriber and she has never, she's not into fashion at all and is actually kind of poorly dressed. And I was always into fashion and, you know, got into beauty through her. So I guess I was like paying attention to it and I think I saw the effects as I was getting older of like, oh, I've always worn sunscreen and like all of these people around me are now just realizing they have to wear it and stuff like that. And then at the same time, I was writing about it um, just because it was somehow like assigned to me a lot. Like I just knew beauty editors or something like that. It was a little bit haphazard. And beauty was something that I understood and people who worked in the media, particularly women's media, understood, like kept the lights on. Like right. a lot of the advertising is around beauty and, you know, a brand like, I don't know, Dior makes so much more money off of their like crazy hit mascara than clothes or even bags. And so these things were like pretty obvious to me. And yet I realized that they weren't obvious to everyone else and that 
beauty was slowly growing in power of just, you know, there was like a Forbes list of riches, self-made women. And like six of them were at least partially through beauty. Like Rihanna made, became a billionaire, not because of not putting an album out for like the last 10 years, but because of beauty and the Fenty line. And so I became sort of obsessed with writing you know, a book that I would want to read, like a book that didn't really exist about the kind of power and might of the beauty industry and how intimate it was and how it dictated, you know, the way that we thought of, you know, what was beautiful and the aesthetics of beauty. And that ended up turning into a book about Glossier. So I think it was about five years ago. So maybe like around 2018 that I started hearing about Glossier because I'm okay. I'm 49 years old. So I'm like out of the millennial, um, you know, target demo. And I'm just like the latest adopter. I mean, like, like I'm so late on everything. And I, I, I couldn't even tell you how or where I knew about it. It was just like suddenly this thing that people were talking about. And like the follower that I apparently am, I, I went to the website and I bought a lip gloss and I was like, okay, this was fine. But like, what? I didn't get it. Like, what is the deal here? Why is there the, this fire behind this brand? So for those of us who don't really understand the Glossier phenomenon, can you tell us what Glossier is and why it came to matter so much? Yeah. Glossier was kind of more modeled on like streetwear brands, like Supreme, very millennial coded than they were on like Clinique. So Glossier, when they launched, just had four products and me being 46 and raised on, you know, Clinique, I was like, where is everything else? Like there was, you know, not even enough to do like a full face routine, let alone no like lipsticks or nail polishes. And so they were sort of presenting some like nice starter products. And I always thought of the demographic as like, post-proactive acne products, but before you actually wanted to spend money on like a serum or, or were actually worried about like wrinkles or pigmentation or, you know, anything that you might be willing to spend like a hundred dollars trying to, you know, prevent. And um, they were priced sort of between drugstore brands and department store brands. So there was this sort of veneer of like aspiration, but it was still very kind of attainable and inexpensive. And the packaging was pink. You know, it was on Instagram. It looked really beautiful on a shelf. Like a lot of people posting sort of dewy looking selfies with Glossier products. And they were the kind of no makeup makeup products that were meant to kind of like, you know, you you weren't supposed to have a lot of artistry or like even brushes, like stuff that you could kind of just smush on to make you look a little more put together, a little more alive or something like that. Yeah. Somebody um, makes a joke in the book, you know, that like it's makeup for people that are already pretty. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's this effortlessness to, to the look. Yeah. I mean, and that always appealed to me and intrigued me because I'm not a person that loves to wear makeup and like, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever worn like a full face of foundation or anything like that, you know, whereas I have a mother that like wears a full face to the gym and um, <laughs> she really does. And Where did she know, grow up by the way? 
Um, she is a native Californian. She lives in really? California, but you know, her mother is Southern. So there, there might okay. be yeah. a little yeah. bit of the like, you know, Tennessee mom influence. That's what I was thinking. Cause I, so I live in Texas and I mean, I still see people with full faces of makeup at the gym, like pearls and lipstick, like doing on the treadmaster or whatever it's called. But the weird thing is my mom is also a hippie and not like glam in other ways. It's a very strange, she's a strange woman and it's a strange combination, but like, I think it's also, that's just her routine. Is like I get up, yeah. I like wash my face, and I put on makeup, and then wherever the day takes me, I'm wearing like this is my default face. Whereas for me, makeup is very like I'm going out with friends. I'm gonna do like a little blush, or like you know, I'm going to like a big event. I'm gonna like put on a red lip, but it, it's very just like event based and, and mood based, and what I'm like eating or doing. But not for my mother. Anyway, so the other thing that Glossier, I think, understood, which is sort of connected to all of this, is that your, you know, the way that people buy products is not just about, like, efficacy. Like, the best-selling products or the ones that people use are not necessarily, like, you know, like, the mascara that's the cheapest with the highest ratings or something. Like, particularly buying beauty products is about, you know psychology and imagination and fantasy and all of these things. So I think that Glossier was able to kind of successfully tap into the like fantasy life and the aspirational dreams of millennials, Gen Z, and then people like me who are like Gen X. Um, But you know, confused or whatever. But also I know plenty of people that are, you know, well into their like seventies that love like Glossier's boy brow or, you know, mascara or whatever. They had very solid products that were, you know, not like there were no like cartoon characters on them or something. It could exist on anyone's like shelf. And we should, Boy Brow is, is one of their, what you call hero products. It's sort of like the product that they end up becoming known for, one of the three um, products. That's like, I mean, I'm trying to think if you didn't follow makeup, it's one of those strange things, but like, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's mascara for your eyebrows, basically it's brow gel. Yeah. It's like a gel pomade hybrid. So it like gives a little bit of like, it puts like, I have brows that are naturally curly, which is awful and um and like prone to like moving around even though they're not full it's like the worst of all worlds so it's like boy brow kind of like makes them look a little bit thicker because there's like a little bit of pomade in it and a little bit of color if you want it and kind of keeps them in place without it being like crunchy got it so we are of course going to get into uh emily weiss the founder of uh glossier uh, but I did want to mention, so when you're talking about the efficacy of a problem of a product, I have a young adult daughter and I was showing her your book and she's like, you know, mom, basically the, the what is it? The milky gel face wash. Is that what, it, what, what it's called? She's like, mom, milky it's, jelly, it's yeah. milky jelly. She's like, it's basically Cetaphil, you know, which you can get, of course, in the drugstore <laughs> for $14. But I will yeah. say when the uh, Glossier store opened the originally in Lafayette, which is back in what, 20? 17 the the first 
the first store that you yeah. could go into. My daughter yeah. and I went, um, we went and like stood in a little line and I was very confused. Mm-hmm. I'm like, am I walking into a Kubrick movie here? I'm not really sure what's happening because it's definitely it has not- kind of a Kubrick Wes Anderson vibe. <laughs> yeah, it bit. does. You walk into this like white egg and there's people, but there's no, there's no sales counters and you're kind of just like looking at things. And then you don't, I, I was a bit confused. I think I did wind up buying something. Um, I thought it was interesting, but I was definitely not the target audience for Glossier in terms of the sort of um, lifestyle of it, the identity of it, the we're going to have conversations about it. We're going to go on TikTok. We're going to go on Reddit. We're going to like, we're going to talk about why, as you mentioned in the book, should we have a, a Glossier tampon? Should we have a Glossier hotel? You know, should we, whatever, because, because it means so much to me. I was looking at it. It was an interesting experience, but it uh-huh. didn't, if, if for me, the products themselves, they, they were like, yeah. you know, whatever. Like I, I actually bought. You were a tourist in the Glossier world. I was a tourist a, in the Glossier world. Instead of a citizen. Yeah. I will say they recently, um, after the show White Lotus season two, all the actresses on that season wore these fantastic light pastel eyeshadows, which is what I like. I actually have a great oh, the lid star. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it wasn't the Lidstar, which was it wasn't? Too, too disco for me. Oh, no, it was the ones in the, in the like, little compacts or whatever, like a powdery one? Well, I don't know what they used on the show. All okay. I'm telling you is that I was really <laughs> gratified to see because I'm constantly looking for, like, a light lavender, a light blue, and you really, you, you can't find them. You can't even go to, like, the department store or, or even Sephora. So I was very, I have one by, by Rihanna, which is great. But I was mm-hmm. very gratified to see that around the time the show came out, they came out with these little sticks. Glossier did. Mm-hmm. And one was a light blue, like really pale and beautiful. Um, but it, it didn't seem to land somehow. And I wonder if you think that as time has gone on, have the products become less interesting? Or have they always, has it always just sort of been uh, the image that people have been buying? Well, I think that they sort of started out a little more piecemeal and randomly. So it was like they started out with like a spray, a balm, a kind of makeup product and a moisturizer. And then the next product was like a mask. And now they're trying to be a little more like a traditional makeup brand and like uh, widening the scale. So it's like they came out with a perfume a few years ago called You, which I really love. And now you can buy deodorant in that scent. You can buy a candle in that scent. And similarly, a few years ago, they came out with a concealer um, that people like. And this year, even just a few weeks ago, they came out with a line of foundations that is like, you know, it, it basically iteration of all of that. So they're doing sort of traditional things of like, oh, you like this product. Now we're like building out sort of similar versions. So, you know, to get you to, to buy more and, you know, like if you find a scent you love, why wouldn't you want maybe the deodorant version or something like that? Um, and so, yeah, like they're acting a little more traditionally. They now, instead of Emily Weiss as their young founder CEO, she stepped down over a year ago and they have like a, Harvard Business School grad, veteran of like Amex and Colhan is their CEO, who is kind of an operations specialist. And they're sort of messaging, at least to the business world, is like, 
we know who we are. We're serious. You know, we're getting into good shape. Our like days of child, like, you know, freedom is over where, where, you know, we know who we are, but with that kind of, I don't know, responsibility or like somewhat gravitas comes like, yeah, a little bit boring. Like a lot of the original people who were there developing and naming products and marketing them are gone. And so, you know, there has to be a little bit of that like sparkle and magic and delight that comes from somewhere. And while I think they're probably really, you know, smart and capable people, I'm not sure that it's there right now, or at least I haven't seen it. I think they're so um, obsessed with kind of being like responsible and getting on track after a few missteps that they're less um, sort of uh, caring about like developing a great like glitter eyeliner or something like that, even though I don't know. I think that's the kind of thing that actually made people really love them. It's the kind of like random excitement, like product dropped out of the sky kind of feeling. That, that's what 20 year olds are going to get excited about. And they're the ones that are really spreading your your name in the places where we spread things. Now, yes, of course, you can have an, you know, if you open up Vanity Fair, there's going to be the full page Estee Lauder ad, like just like there always is. And this has been successful for a long time. But um, we're going to have you tell us a little bit about, you know, Emily Weiss and her rise and mm-hmm. I don't know if you would call it fall. I think she's sort of, she's sort of. Exited, yeah. Yeah. She exited stage right. And now we have a different sort of, we have a very, what seems to be very responsible CEO there that, that knows that in order to survive, even if it means to survive long enough to be attractive, to sell to a big, you know, company, another company, this is what they have to do because that, that magic, you know, it's evanescent. How, how long, or I always say that wrong. Don't I, Sarah? Evanescent. You do, I'm but sorry. I, 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 it, I think it's cute, but it's evanescent, but that's evanescent. okay. Oh, that, that evanescence, <laughs> you know, it, it was starting to all to, to sunset a bit and then she chose to leave. So if you would, can you tell us a little bit? Uh, I mean, people can read the book and they should be reading the book, which is called Glossy, <laughs> subtitle Ambition, Beauty and the Inside Story of Emily Weiss's Glossier. Um, tell us a little bit about, about Weiss and her, her rise. Yeah, so I think I first saw her the way a lot of people did, which I was watching MTV's show, The Hills, which was a very popular kind of like reality show that was soapy. And she had this like extended cameo, I think on three episodes, where the main characters were these kind of like hapless, kind of airheady, like LA-based Teen Vogue interns. And their job was kind of fake because like Teen Vogue didn't even really have like an actual office in LA, let alone like interns. Um, And there's some kind of dinner that they're planning and these girls are just like wide-eyed, not able to get it together. And in comes Emily, the New York intern. And, you know, she's everything they're not. She is brunette. She is carrying a binder. She is wearing black. She can pronounce chinoiserie correctly. She can like correctly identify the kinds of, um, you know, like uh, flowers you should have in like a dining room situation so you can still see people. She's truly what a lot of, you know, Condé Nast or like magazine interns were like. 
because you had to be sort of hyper capable and you also often had to be sort of affluent or, you know, very comfortable and conversant in that kind of world. And so, you know, in the show, I was just kind of taken with this like really intense 20 year old and then didn't really think about her for a few years and heard that there was this new beauty site that people were really loving called Into the Gloss. And then someone was like, yeah, you remember that girl from the Her- the Hills? She started it. And I was like, wow, interesting. And I read Into the Gloss and um, I ended up using her as a source for a few stories. Like I wrote about the popularity at the moment of like bleaching your hair and she had just bleached all her hair. Right. So she was like, you know, the main picture or whatever. And, and then I profiled her for a few times. She launched Glossier after Into the Gloss sort of as an offshoot in 2014 and you know they became um a pretty instant hit and I profiled her for the first time in 2016 and again in 2019 so they were just always kind of on my mind and she was the kind of woman who you know like that intern moment like her high school yearbook quotes were from Graydon Carter from Vanity Fair and from Calvin Coolidge about like perseverance or something like that. And she's just, you know, everyone kind of knows someone like that, you know, the girl who seems to be born with the kind of, not just ambition because I'm ambitious, but like direction. Like she didn't seem to like have a thing a lot of people did where you're like, oh, you know, I have all this like bluster or excitement about life, but I don't really know where I'm going to point it or something. And she really knew what she wanted. And most importantly, she had this kind of like ability to like ask for it and exist in the world of adults in a way that really worked that I would have found terrifying, you know, even now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, her ability to kind of leapfrog, through the the reins of different different types of things is quite amazing and and it does seem like one of the secrets to her success is that she has this bold ability to just kind of ask people for what she wants like she's not yeah. she's some she's somehow not intimidated by um yeah. And that is really, I mean, again, I am 46 years old. That is hard for me to like calmly ask for, for what I want. And yet when she was still in high school, she was babysitting for a neighbor and knew he worked at Ralph Lauren. And one day she said, you know, I like babysitting for your kids, but I'd really love a you know internship at Ralph Lauren. And it worked, you know, she was, that's the thing is like, she was always a really hard worker to back it up too. So- Hello, Smoke We've Got em listeners. If you are hearing this, that means you have just listened to the free portion of our, oh, I don't know, bi-weekly episodes with Sarah Hepla. Sarah Hepla, who's just so busy right now, she could not record this little, uh, interim moment for you. Um, We're happy to have you here as a free subscriber. If you'd like the entire episodes, please go over to smokeempodcast.substack.com and sign up and subscribe. Then you will get the full episodes every week, plus some special things we drop for you on the weekends and our monthly, our first Sunday Zooms. Again, to get the full fig, that is smokeempodcast.substack.com. Thanks.